Trumanitarian. Welcome to Trumanitarian. I'm your host, Lars Peter Nissen. This week's guest is Philippe Besson, who was the head of the Multilateral Affairs Division at Swiss Humanitarian Aid Department, which is part of the Swiss Agency for Development Corporation, SDC, until he retired earlier this year. I have worked closely with Philippe over the past years, and I wanted to do this episode for a number of reasons. Firstly, because he has a deep and nuanced and very principled way of thinking about humanitarian action, and he is one of the least linear thinkers I have come across. And just in case there's any doubt among the listeners, being a nonlinear thinker is just about the highest praise I can give to anybody. But I also wanted to interview Philippe because he held positions of considerable influence within a donor agency, and he has a very clear and principled way of thinking about the dynamics and contradictions between the institutional priorities and personal beliefs. I hope you find the conversation interesting and useful. Thank you for listening. Philippe Besson, welcome to Humanitarian. Thanks very much for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you here. We have wanted to do an episode like this for a while. We have worked together over the past couple of years uh, in your function of uh, the head of the multilateral division of STC. You were one of the donors to ACAPS, and you and I have had a a really productive and, and, and for me, very valued collaboration over the past couple of years. And so I always was very disappointed when you said, no, I don't think I would like to do the podcast, not yet. I would like to first go on pension. But now you've gone on pension and have agreed to have this conversation. And we will talk a bit about what are the rules actually for speaking your mind when you're in a position as a, as a civil servant as you are. What can you say and what can you not say? What What's best practice there? Uh, and I think that that'll be a really interesting discussion. But but before we jump into that, I'd like to ask you, could you just uh, give us an overview of your career? How did you get involved in international co- cooperation? And, and what have you been, been doing all these years? Right. Um, well, my first training was in law. I studied law in Lausanne. And then um, in the late 70s, I joined what at the time still was the Graduate Institute for Development Studies, which now is uh, the, 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 the meanwhile famous institute just around the corner of your office. Uh, and I went there because, in a way, I was the classical um, social democratic evolutionary idealist. Uh, Probably also because um, my father worked for Swissair. I was out in different countries like Senegal, Libya, other places uh, for quite some years. I had this notion of uh, justice, uh, equality, inclusiveness. Um, So that was basically my, uh, my first incentive. And then the rest is a um, mixture between, um, yeah, well, my interest, my sense of, of conviction, but also just chance. So um, uh, I got hired by the director of the Graduate Institute at the time as a totally young professional to support him administratively and otherwise. It was a two-year mandate and then 
uh, I went over to doing a bit of social anthropology. So I was in New York, in, in Paris. And then uh, I was hired again by chance by Helvetas, the Swiss NGO. And then um, Helvetas uh, didn't want to have operations uh, managed in the French-speaking uh, part of Switzerland. So you can uh, somehow uh, hear out uh, a sort of a feeling of uh, discrimination against the French, French speakers in, uh, in Switzerland. No, um, there, there were very rational reasons for that. But then I, I would look for another job. And uh, the ones who were ready to take me, they were SDC, uh, the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation. And that's how I ended up uh, spending 31 years with them, uh, working in countries like uh, Bangladesh, um, Niger, and later South Sudan. And that's in South Sudan that I had my crash course in humanitarian aid. Uh, from 14 to 17, and then you you mentioned that from 17 to uh, until recently, end of September, uh, I worked in humanitarian multilateral affairs, but that was by accident. So uh, I, somehow my whole trajectory is a mixture between a sense of conviction, wanting to change things, and a total chance. Uh, yeah. Uh, Things that just happened, opportunities. Now, I've never seen you in the field. We've always met in the global fora, in, in the Good Humanitarian Donorship, at the, the conferences here in, in Geneva. But what's always struck me is that you don't mince your words. You've actually been quite outspoken when I've seen you in terms of what works and what doesn't work. And uh, I've heard you use the word courage civic uh, to describe the responsibility you as a, as a civil servant have to actually speak your mind. Could you just give us your thinking around that? How, how did you, when you held these positions, some of which were high in the Swiss uh, administration, how did you interpret uh, your obligation to, on one side, of course, toe the party line, represent Switzerland, that's why you get your paycheck. But on the other hand to also speak the conviction that you, you mentioned, to, to also follow your principles. How do you balance the institutional and the personal? Yeah, that's um, a complex question, uh, which I believe um, is very much related to, to situations, moments. The, so one answer may sound right in a certain context and not in another. What I tried to do was um, to defend also internally the principle that on the one hand, okay, I'm a bureaucrat, uh, but the first thing is that I, it's not my money uh, I manage and I allocate. It's really the taxpayer's money. So I'm not entitled to, to use the resources of official development assistance for, for the purpose of, I will call it promoting my ego or somehow making uh, Switzerland uh, shine. In fact, sometimes uh, or oftentimes, uh, you, you know, the people would thank me 
um, for for the support and thanks Switzerland, but also me personally. And there is this other element that comes in of partnership, uh, and I, I genuinely think that. I, as a, a part and a representative of a development and humanitarian agency, I was depending on sound, effective and relevant partnerships, i.e. without partners, what can I do? I, I, I won't apply the law, I won't implement it, I, 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 won't, I won't change things. And then the other element, which is perhaps especially uh, evident in in the Swiss context uh, with direct democracy and all that. I think there there is hopefully most of the time um, sort of um, of an automatic tension between being a citizen, so I am entitled to my analysis, my views, and all that, and being a civil servant. Uh, the the last bit is uh, let's face it, <laughs> uh, contrary to other. Uh, countries, um, we because we we are not at the center of political preoccupations of our political masters. We we enjoy a, a pretty large freedom of speech that goes with the permanent risk of being irrelevant because nobody listens internally and perhaps also. Uh, externally. So I, I was always trying to suggest that we, we, we have to address things and I always attempted at being consistent between what I would say internally and externally in a conference, in a, in a video meeting or whatever. The, the absolute um, limit I, I tried to, to, to fix to myself was uh, that I, I never would uh, jeopardize the interests of Switzerland. I, I would look at the superior interests uh, as I would define them. So there, <laughs> there again, that was disputable. But mainly, uh, I, I, I could say in short, I didn't want to embarrass my, my colleagues, even my, my bosses. So when I really concretely criticized one of my bosses, I, I did it internally, but I did also, also that, which gave me this liberty, as I had said it internally, to bring it up uh, in perhaps packed, uh, packaged a bit differently uh, in the, the public space. I hear you saying rule number one is it's not about your own individual wants. It, it, you have to be really careful that you actually represent the interests of of the collective. Right? You 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 can't just play to your own ego, as you said, or or promote your own. That that's sort of the first part of your code. And then, secondly, that this position as you say where, where maybe you're not uh, top of the agenda for for the swiss public debate gives you space to a bit of wriggle room to to do things and that that there's an obligation to to speak your mind in a sense even though it, it is not your money it's not your personal agenda but you 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 have to actually speak up internally at least when you find a tension between what you think should happen and what the agency actually is doing. 
Yeah, in a way, um, the individuals react differently, but I, I always felt that uh, I, I maybe my political agenda, development policies, uh, humanitarian policies may not be at the top uh, of the agenda of, uh, say, the, the federal councillors, but that I, I would try and really speak uh, according to what I felt was in the best interest of, uh, of Switzerland in the context of what is the best interest of humanity. Um, and sometimes, not only I, but others within SEC would be called naive or globalist and all that. And this is also a, a vivid uh, domestic debate here in Switzerland about what's in the best interest of Switzerland. And it, it was uh, captured once, uh, that's the charm of being retired, and, and that's also public, so I can speak about that. Uh, our federal councillor in charge of finance, Uli Maurer, said once in, uh, in an ambassador's conference uh, three years ago, that um, he felt that we, um, the, the, the FDFA, so the foreign ministry's personnel, um, we were not there to change the world, but to defend Swiss interests. It so happens that I had the privilege to try and defend the notion that the best Swiss interest is to change the world. In, in terms of social justice and in terms of, uh, for instance, uh, climate uh, justice. And so that there is this room one has. And uh, again, I, I could, I had a lot of leeway, but the, the systemic effects were partly doubtful, although I am a strong believer in those kinds of networks where we recognize ourselves around values of humanity. And so that was also always in my mind, I, I at least give it a, a, a chance to find coalitions. There I can quote you, uh, so generate uh, contradiction uh, and questioning within one's own ecosystem. And I, I felt this kind of dialectic tension uh, promoting our own self-evaluation uh, and the evaluation of our work by others, including partners. Anything that would be evidence-based and respectful and ethical, that was worth taking. And that was my great privilege that together with our team, we had the possibility within financial limits, but we could really engage. And I think that's one of our strengths. And as a, uh, as a person who has been on the other side of the partnership, I would agree with that. And, and it, it's one of the great things about working with the STC over the past years have been exactly this tolerance for ambiguity and acceptance that not necessarily everything fits together in a, in a linear way and that that sometimes we have to to accept contradictions as something that can be productive and that gives us unexpected gifts. And I think that's great. 
I also know that the majority of bosses or managers don't necessarily share that insight and that there is a tendency for, for a hierarchy to want a somewhat tighter ship, if you want. And so how has that been? I, being sort of uh, defining yourself almost as somebody who, who who's there to create a tension also uh, and a contradiction by speaking up what you think is right. How, how has that been in, in terms of career, in terms of uh, relating to the hierarchy? Who were you inside STC in your own mind? Mm. Yeah, um, so as I mentioned, I, I've been around uh, with STC for 31 years, so that's a long time. So it's a generation and a half. So I underwent all the phases, including uh, times at which I would have liked to do other things. So um, I think you can't be a, in a public agency without making uh, compromises. The, the question is, uh, when does it become a compromission? When do I start betraying the, my basic set of, uh, of values? And I hope, although I can't be sure, that I never betrayed my fundamental values. What I learned was uh, to navigate the, the system, uh, try and, and place uh, some elements, introduce some itches, uh, typically, um, you know, all that's to do with evaluation, with feedbacks. You, you can promote them and depending on how smart one is uh, at introducing those uh, feedbacks, those other types of messages, hierarchies will have to respond. They don't want to be exposed. So amongst other assignments for a little more than three years, I was the, the Swiss delegate at the Development Assistance Committee. And at the time, I can assure you that a peer review, which basically was a work of the DAC secretariat plus uh, two DAC member representatives, that was taken really seriously because it was also a PR issue. So you, you start with something which basically is just about image. Uh, I don't think I exaggerate. It was really mainly or exclusively about image. And then you introduce elements uh, saying like, I don't know, the Netherlands tend to do this better than, than us. Perhaps we should inspire ourselves. And then it, it doesn't change things within a week's time, but you can inoculate things. Or the, the latest one is, though I, I can quote two things uh, for which my colleagues and I are, are proud. One is localization where we were involved mainly to have a, sort of a seat for Switzerland at the, the origin, but we worked on that. So with others, and there comes in the notion of coalition and understanding each other and knowing what's to be said publicly and where we can negotiate and try and find joint ways and all that. That was about saying, okay, localization is very condescending. So let's try and transform this into really promoting local humanitarian action uh, uh, with a subsidiarity principle. Um, so what 
local actors can do, we may support, but we won't intervene directly. But there may be situations like natural disasters where it still makes sense to send in uh, international help. And now, within SDC, people would endorse this speech. They won't implement it yet, but they refer to it. So that's a small success. The other one is anticipatory action. We are groomed, it's in our genes, to send out Swiss people who save the world. And now our bosses start saying, oh, yeah, if IFRC, even ICRC start to anticipatory action, if it's common uh, talk within the UN system, we better at least acknowledge that anticipatory action is, uh, is important. And then we have evidence, we can feed our masters, so they will repeat this in conferences. And also the, the bit of uh, teasing is, uh, if I take anticipatory action, then I will uh, cite uh, Germany, and th that will be the small itch uh, for the deauthorizing environment who will say, okay, what the Germans do, we can also ask the Swiss uh, do something of the kind. So the, I, I'd say it's sort of an art, one never can be sure. One may be wrong. Uh, I, I'm sure oftentimes I was wrong. Uh, but it's always trying. There, there's, to me, at points it was almost uh, playful. It was um, throwing in ideas, but that's where I personally really needed partners like typically you, Lars Peter, others in Geneva and, and elsewhere to, to give us uh, their own views, the critique and how we could do things differently. And then my job was to, one, try and learn uh, especially I, who wasn't a humanitarian uh, seven or eight years ago. And secondly, to try and make my own system, subsystem, learn. And then, okay, depending on the indicators, we succeeded a little or, or not. But I know that some colleagues are very proud, especially when it comes to disaster risk reduction and anticipatory action, which are things we promoted. So this way of operating, this approach that you have just beautifully described, how does this brand you inside a bureaucracy where very often it seems to be a race to become the ambassador first? How, 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 who are you then? Well, I, I started at the total novice. I, I was what? Uh, 32, 33. I was considered uh, really the young guy who knew nothing. And I was told that I had to go to the field. My condition for my being hired was that I would go to Bangladesh, which was supposed not to be um, a nice place, and that I would be really a fast learner. And at the time, my masters and bosses were people who had been in Nepal in the 70s, uh, who really had lived with the communities, uh, uh, you know, this mixture of people, uh, sometimes of um, really um, um, more rural social uh, extraction, who that there was a generation the, of petite bourgeoisie and really poor people. And they would get the chance of uh, getting university training, 
they would go into SDC and wanting to, that, that's only half a job, wanting to apply the social democratic agenda we couldn't apply within Switzerland. So we would go to places. Perhaps it's a, so, a, some sort of another imperialism. But anyway, that's how I was trained, you know, participation, uh, joint planning, co-creation, one of the concepts you use, and I think you're very right. At this time, we didn't speak of co-creation, but it was really that. that was, there is also a generation of documents that were produced within SDC. At the time, we were much more liberal than nowadays, and we were totally autonomous. I, I liked to say that we we invested in policy incoherence for development. PCD is a typical DAC uh, slogan. So we would do artisans unions in West Africa. And later on, we would do Dalit rights organizations in India. And at the same time, the Federal Council was pursuing the, the option of uh, of building a nuclear weapon together with apartheid uh, South Africa. So that's the type of climate we were in. We were allowed everything because we were the good conscience of Switzerland. Meanwhile, it's different. So we, we tend to be coherent. But that means that, yeah, uh, again, Maura, we have to serve the short-term Swiss interest. That's generally the, the type of, uh, of uh, message we get. So that was the first phase. The second phase was when uh, I, I started uh, carrying some responsibilities, like I was in Bangladesh, and then I, I was uh, in the mid and late 90s, the head of the office, full support of, um, of uh, head office, and we could uh, produce sort of a program of, um, and we were not the first ones, but that was these were also the beginnings of DFID with Claire Short and all that. So that was a, a, a sort of a period at which everything was possible. You, you, you could at least endeavor to, to, to invest in genuine partnerships. And you know how strong the, the Bangladeshi NGOs are. So Brak, the Bangladesh Rural Advance, Advancement Committee, they told us these are the terms uh, of our collaboration. If you want to work with us, that's what you need to to subscribe to. So, so that was um, I learned a lot because of that because they, these were so strong partners. And then uh, we got a new DG. It was a bit of another political era. So I was the India desk, and there came in the 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 Dalit rights thing. So we, we did a whole program around that, working with very strong Indian NGOs. And at a point of time, it started jeopardizing the relationship between the official Switzerland and the new BJP, i.e. Hinduist uh, government. And so that, that was uh, 2003, four, and and then uh, I, I got stopped and sanctioned. Uh, that was the moment at which, because I argued too much about why we were around and we should apply the, the law, which says we, we, we assist and support the poorest 
of the poor within the poorest countries. So the, the law is still in place. Huh? It's a 76 uh, law. And I was told uh, it was not for me to interpret the law that was for the DG to do. And so I, I was um, in inverted commas punished uh, by um, being sent to Niger as the deputy head. And um, it was not an easy situation, but I learned a lot I, because, again, of the local colleagues. And then that's politics. And uh, increasingly, Switzerland became the same as other European countries. We were increasingly subject to the political waves. So the moment the DG that had so to say, sanctioned me, was out, the, his successor developed some interest in me because I, I, I couldn't be accused of being one of the predecessor's pals uh, or protégés. And then that's how I became that delegate, which is supposed to be pretty prestigious. And then uh, there, there was South Sudan, where I was supposed to do state building. I ended up doing humanitarian aid. And because, um, by and large, apparently we did the right things uh, in South Sudan, or the, again, I got support from head office, so leeway. And we did things as a team, uh, and starting with, with the South Sudanese colleagues that we felt were right. So introducing an institutional element in this dire phase of emergency and all that. And that's how I ended up in my last job where we, we got to, to, to meet. So I could say in a nutshell, uh, I went through all phases, be, be getting a lot of praise, and then again uh, be, being just discarded in the corner and then popping up again. Sometimes it was difficult. Sometimes it was, well, it, it certainly was, um, was a, a great education. It, it's good to, to prevent one's ego to, to go through those phases. Do you wish you had played it more safe? Uh, no, not for a moment. Uh, I, I think I, I, at points, because, well, I have a family, and because I dragged them abroad, I, I felt I couldn't quit. Uh, I was personally tempted. Uh, but um, I, I think in a way, uh, we, with age, we, with the different cycles and all that, um, we found our respective peace. So I think the, the last two years of my assignment, I was the guy who was a bit awkward, but he was okay. He, he didn't mean or do harm, so let him do his things, which are a bit uh, unorthodox. Um, so now when I look back, uh, I, uh, I think sometimes I wasn't smart enough to, to lobby and influence the system. But I, I had this basic uh, notion of uh, the moment I really can't face anymore what I've done, told, said, 
then I really should quit. And thank God I, I was spared the moment to, to do this. And now uh, I'm at peace with the organization and the organization within, I guess, two or three years will have totally forgot me. Because now I'm a dinosaur. No? I, I still know the very first people who started SDC at the end of the 70s. But when I talk to young colleagues, they have no clue. As a dinosaur, I think the advantage is that you, I mean, you grew up in a time when the field was developing. It was very principled. There was a lot of money around, a lot of opportunity, a lot of leeway, as you describe, and, and people did really spectacular things. You've then also described a situation where it becomes, I think, two things, more and more politically controlled, but also more and more technocratic, in a sense. Exactly. And so... When you see entry-level professionals coming into the sector today, what do you think? Do you think, uh, ah, these are like chickens grown in little cages, they're all the same and they never spread their wings and had the freedom I have so they don't challenge the system? Do you think amazing young people? Why, why, how do you see the new generation of, of humanitarians coming into the system? Well, um I, I think, uh, again, there have been eras, there have been uh, waves. Uh, I, ten years ago, the, the people who joined SDC, that's, by the way, the moment at which you could uh, genuinely uh, produce uh, expectations of becoming an ambassador while being in international cooperation. When I started, that was impossible. And that was a safeguard. Yet that was one thing you never would become. So uh, this meant that you had to look at what makes sense, uh, where, where you find your, also your own personal, professional satisfaction. Now, or 10 years ago, people started entering the, the career and, um, and they felt, okay, this is just like another administration by and large. And also the, the, there always was, but the, the, the sort of a new exotism popped up. It, it was nice to go to places and to be paid for it. Um, and that's captured by uh, an anecdote, and, and I'm afraid it's not a, a Swiss colleague who said this, it's a Danish colleague. We'll allow it. We, we, we did it. We did the Notcha donor support group trip to Sudan. And then in the end, we, we had sort of, of a feedback. The young colleague from uh, from head office, he said, well, the, the meals were not provided at regular times. And I thought that was totally naive. He didn't mean to be arrogant or whatever, but that was the thing he, he, he could say. We had this type of, uh, of persons too. We, we still have them. Um, uh, there would be uh, another 
topic perhaps for one of your broadcasts um, uh, about uh, how to make a career and, and how the management styles, including in our organizations, favor a certain psychological pattern. But let's say that those people with, with those types of agendas, they, some of them went very high. I, I became head of division by accident, basically. Just because I, the symbolics of it, uh, I had been evacuated. I was in the midst of a civil war in South Sudan. So that they had to give me something. So they gave me this. But they didn't give it to me because I, I had, together with the team, drafted a really solid uh, conceptual frame for what we could do in, 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 uh, in South Sudan. Um, now, back to your question, I think the latest generation, I, I witnessed two things. First of all, again, new people entering the system who are extremely idealistic in a positive sense, who really, for instance, care about climate combined with social justice. So they, they go into the system out of a sense of commitment. And um, it's a paradox, but I, I was happy to, to um, have a couple of interns or people who got exposed to us. And in the end, they said, that's not for us. I, I, don't, I, I don't want to make a career in this. That's too bureaucratic. It's, it's too influenced by domestic politics. And I thought, okay, brilliant. There's something happening that gives me hope. The, I, I think on the short term, uh, we will get more restrained, at least as uh, Swiss, humanitarian aid, generally speaking, international cooperation. But on the medium to long term, uh, I think there's a good chance that the newest generations will, will do what I would call the, the, the right things. So the, that makes me really, really hopeful. It is difficult, and there is a cost associated with making noise. Right? You don't necessarily make friends. I think you experienced that. I've, I've definitely experienced that in my career. And still, I think it is quite important that you try to, from whatever platform you're on, speak your mind and, 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 and really challenge the status quo, especially when you work in these situations we work in where, where systems break down and become part of the problem. But you also have to exist within an, a bureaucratic framework. What, what's your advice to people today who are sort of trying to climb the corporate humanitarian ladder and who, as I experience them a lot, are really scared of, of being fired or not uh, getting the next P or whatever they, they are looking for in their careers? What's your advice to them? Well, the... Um one element that was of tremendous help to me was that uh, even in difficult contexts or where I felt this is really uh, much outside of reality, I always found interlocutors, uh, partners who, who were asking themselves the same question, uh, struggling, 
and then uh, you get sometimes in this kind of meta conversation or you start sharing uh, with, with the, this um, attempt at finding common solutions, uh, finding a way that, that is conducive and where, where we can build alliances. And that's also true internally. The, the, there were different types. There were the people who sanctioned me, there, there were some. But uh, oftentimes there, there was this kind of um, liberal, uh, more per permissive uh, attitude. Okay, his ideas are a bit crazy, but uh, let him do it. He doesn't do any major harm, so that's fine. And then teams are essential, and there one needs to be lucky. But the moment on a day-to-day -day basis, you, you and the whole team or the majority within a team can, can talk openly and, and also share concerns, options, views and all that. Iteration, the conversation, I think that helps a tremendous lot. And then there, there are limits. I, I, I never felt, okay, that's the moment I have to, to quit. But it could have occurred, and that's really, really, really tough. But, okay, I, I'm a strong believer in the art of, um, of teasing the system, but in a smart way, uh, and finding out where, where the, the limits are. And my experience is that never expose your boss publicly, but with a, a, a little bit of, um, of skill, one can tell um, a lot of things in a, in a private conversation. The limit of this, as I experienced it, is that they, they are very sympathetic. They say, yes, that's nice. Uh, thanks, Philippe. Uh, but perhaps even I think about it, and then they will do just the opposite. No? Uh, and OK, the other thing is, right, they, I was bombarded at the time ahead of division. I don't think that there was any chance that I could join the SEC Board of Directors. That would have been the limit the, of subversion. That would have been unacceptable. That they, they, they wouldn't do. So uh, I reached the highest level that was conceivable. And that was, again, due more to, to, to chance uh, constellation. In other times, I would have been, yeah, the the old geezer who has been uh, 30 years in, in this. And um, friends, colleagues would have listened to what I said. But also there's this element of uh, using one's power wisely. The, so precisely trying to avoid using power just for the sake of uh, satisfying one's ego, but then using power to, to induce uh, a change. That's the other thing, risking it a little bit, the, the kind of, uh, it, it's like a, a recipe.
it's guerrilla warfare. You can't go out in the open with it, right? And you can't afford to lose a major battle than you did. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um I I I think yeah it's it's really it's really enough. How, how subversive can you allow yourself to 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 be? But I generally think that, uh, and I repeat this, all over the place in the whole humanitarian system, international cooperation system, there there are people if they are given the chance, if the coalition is right, they they will do the right things. And I saw my role also at making this a little more probable, a little more possible. So one thing I found interesting was that you, whenever I asked you, you said, no, let's do it once I went on, once I retired. Why is that? What, what is it you were able to say today you weren't able to say two months ago? The, my, my first, no, there, there was three thoughts. One was that, uh, I like uh, I love being here in this conversation with you, but to me it was essential that it would be about two persons, professionals, who would like to do this. And the being a bureaucrat uh, from a sponsoring agency that's a bit ambiguous. That was one reason. One very important reason was not to embarrass colleagues. Now. They can just, if they like, say, well, this guy has retired, so what the hell. And then, um, he, again, I, I never would purposefully hurt uh, my colleagues, their, their interests, their future. But like uh, the anecdote about uh, our finance minister, I don't think I would have told it uh, if uh, I had still been with uh, SEC, because that might have been resented uh, by the, the hierarchy. And again, it could have been a problem, not so much for me, because I'm a lost case, but for my colleagues, that would have been a pity. So that's the constellation of reasons I had to say, okay, let's wait a little. Philippe Song, thank you so much for coming on to Humanitarian. Thank you for your partnership and friendship over the years. It's been such a pleasure working with you. And, and thank you for your insights today. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks very much for this conversation. And uh, really, uh, good luck and long life to Humanitarian, to, to <laughs> you, Lars Peter, and to, to ACAPS. That, that was great. It's about the rights and the freedom to be For people to choose their path in life and dream Souls of men beyond what you see Stages are different for each who will lead Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks Fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets Ask better questions, pick apart, educate And no one is safe, we're here to build and debate We are, we are searching for more Open up your mind beyond rich or poor For the truth You've been warned, humanitarian. <laughs>